0: we should be calling to people to is this higher life, which of course is only possible through the grace of Jesus Christ. We can't do it on our own power. We all know we fall all the time, but Christ is raising us up. Whereas synodality is saying, no, just stay down. It's almost like they're putting their foot on your neck when you're down. That's like the dictatorship of relativism. We're just going to put our foot on your neck. You just stay down there in your sin. And, and to the, it becomes just a power game, a political game of, okay, these people, we keep them down And they don't realize the beauty of a Catholic life fully lived.
1: Hey, my friends. You know, um, there's a lot of um, people around talking about what's going to come at the Synod, and as we are into it already, we want to talk with someone who's been writing about it, thinking about it, and affecting what's going on also in the Church. Eric Sammons runs Crisis Magazine, and uh, it's just stellar. And a lot of people might think, oh, that's competition. So, you know, no, actually, I actually admire a lot of what Eric is doing, and um, I don't feel it's competition at all. In fact, the more the merrier. Crisis Magazine has been around for a long, long time, before Eric, too, but Crisis has taken on a new strength in what they've done, how faithful they've been. And um, they've embraced tradition at a time when all of tradition is sort of being rejected by everyone else. It's an incredible thing to see. Um, if you're not already subscribed, I would encourage you to get on to Crisis Magazine. Stay tuned for this interview with Eric Simmons. The church is in the greatest crisis of its 2,000-year history. The church, our mother, needs your help like never before. Bishop Fulton J. Sheen said, who's going to save our church? It's not the bishops. It's not our priests. It's not the religious. It's up to you, the people. You have the minds, the eyes, and the ears to save our church. Your mission is to see that priests act like priests, your bishops act like bishops, and the religious act like religious. Those are the words of Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. And yes, we are called to pray and fast. We're all called to pray and fast about this, but some of you are called to lead this fight. Some of you are called to fund the effort. Where are you called? Pray about that and heed the Holy Spirit. As you know, the Synod on Synodality is about to launch. LifeSite will be there reporting every day on what's taking place. And we already know that it will be a scandal. But we are also called to act. And some, especially those called by the Holy Spirit, are asked to speak boldly, to reject the falsehood and stand for the unchanged and unchangeable truth of Christ and His one holy Catholic and apostolic Church. If you feel that you are called to be one of those leaders. Consider joining us in Rome at the end of the Synod, to be there as a sign of resistance to the setting up of a false new church, and as a sign of adherence to the only church founded by Christ himself. Rome Life Forum is a two-day strategy conference for Catholic leaders defending the truths which are most under threat, on sexuality, family, and liturgy. Are you called to leadership in this fight? Are you called to join us at Rome Life Forum? If so, go to romelifeforum.com and I'll see you in the Eternal City with Cardinal Muller, with Bishop Joseph Strickland, and an army of faithful Catholics such as Michael Matt, Alexander Chugawell, Reggie Littlejohn, Liz Yor, Christopher Ferrara, Terry Barber, Hugh Owens, and many more willing to die for the one holy Catholic and apostolic Church of our fathers. This is John Henry Weston for LifeSite News. May God bless you. And now, back to the program. Eric, welcome to the program.
0: Thanks so much for having me, John Henry.
1: So let's begin, as we always do, with the sign of the cross first. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Okay, so here you are, Catholic Identity Conference, and uh, you've given even a talk on synodality. When in the world is synodality anyway?
0: That is the $64,000 question, isn't it? So in my talk, I actually read what the Vatican website says it is, which makes no sense. I said it's like a Vaticanese. It's like a cross between a government manual and a New Age handbook. I mean, it just makes no sense. It's bureaucratic nonsense. But I defined what I think synodality is. And I said, it's the effort to transform Catholicism into a religion in which vice and virtue are equal and are voted upon by its members. That's my essential definition of synodality because that's what's happening is they're putting everything up for a vote and not just for a vote of the bishops who are the successors to the apostles, but the priests, the laity, hand-selected, priest and lady, of course, like Father James Martin, people like that. But issues that have been settled, settled for centuries, and resettled, in in a sense, reiterated by John Paul II. And now it's like, nope, everything is up for grabs again. Mm -hmm. And that's essentially what synodality is. It's putting vice and virtue on equal footing and saying, let's vote on this. What do we think? Sixth Commandment? Are we for it or are we against it? And, And that's essentially what it ends up being.
1: So what have you seen as we're entering the Synod now, the subjects that you know are going to come up that are settled, but yet now open for debate?
0: I think the big ones we keep hearing about, of course, are women's ordination. A number of bishops have been kind of mentioning it again, and the stealth way they want to get in is through diaconate ordination, trying to, you know, there's there's language in our tradition of deaconesses from the early church, so let's make that equivalent to men ordain deacons and, and try to have that. But we all know that's just the foot in the door to women's ordination into the priesthood and even to the Episcopate. That's a big one, of course. The uh, condoning homosexual acts, homosexual relationships, uh, again, reaffirm, reaffirming the, the, the false teaching of Morse Leticia about uh, communion for divorced and remarried. Those are some of the big ones. Uh, the, the whole idea of just people living together I was just talking to somebody after my talk. She was saying how she has a, a daughter who's living with her uh, boyfriend, and she's been she was raised Catholic, but it's basically that's just what you do now. And the church is saying, well, there's elements of good in there. There's elements of holiness in that, and of course that it goes. It's contrary to what the church has always taught about that. And so I think those are probably. It's always the the uh, pelvic issues, as they say, always come to fore, and uh, women's ordination. And I think just a general—I think one thing we we have to remember, it's not always these specific issues, but synodality is a way of being church, to use their way of putting it. It's a way of just causing confusion and letting Catholics know, well, yeah, maybe the church is against this today, but we'll just have another synod in a few years, and it'll be for it, so I might as well just get ahead of the curve. Hmm. So it basically makes everything— open for interpretation for debate
1: you know benedict it tried to fight relativism which which this is and maybe you can unpack that a tiny bit for us just to make it really simple but we're seeing it promoted now by pope francis himself let alone the the cardinals that are surrounding him and the the general (laughs) relator of the synod is cardinal hollrich who's already known on the other side with regard to homosexuality and stuff so unpack that a little bit for us, if you could.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, Pope Benedict, God rest his soul, he, he, he was so brilliant. He spoke very strongly against that. And that's one of the things I notice is that we talk about traditional Catholics opposing a lot of the agenda of Francis. But Francis isn't upending just preconciliar ideas. He's upending JP2. I mean, very much JP2. And, and of course, Benedict in the things that, that John Paul II was very clear. And that was one of the beauties of JP 2s pontificate was this idea that there are moral norms. There is right and wrong. And Francis is now leaving it up for a vote. And I think it's, it's like this purposeful confusion that's happening. And it is relativistic. And you see it. I, I remember when Morris Leticia came out, I didn't read it on purpose at first. I was like, you know, I know it's not going to be good. I don't need to read it. But finally I got around to reading it. I think a couple years after it came out. And I remember saying, wow, I'll just be blunt. This is diabolical. Because it wasn't the footnote that was the problem to me. I mean, yeah, the footnote with the allowing divorce, married communion, that's bad. But it was the whole moral underpinnings that they tried to dress up as Thomistic and everything of this idea of there's an ideal and we can't really reach that. And so we just meet people where they are. Well, the problem with that is that's contrary to Catholicism, our Lord says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And what he does is when we don't reach that, he reaches down and picks you up. He picks us up to reach that ideal. But what they're saying is, no, we're going to go down and just hang out with you in your sin in and just and accept it as just this is a another way to live and there's elements of goodness in it, so we're just going to accept that. But really what we should be calling to people to is this higher life, which of course is only possible through the grace of Jesus Christ. We can't do it on our own power. We all know we fall all the time. But Christ is raising us up, whereas Synodality is saying, no, just stay down. It's almost like they're putting their foot on your neck when you're down. It's like the dictatorship of relativism. We're just going to put our foot in your neck. You just stay down there in your sin. And, and to the, it becomes just a power game, a political game of, okay, these people, we keep them down, and they don't realize the beauty of a Catholic life fully lived.
1: So... One of the most confusing figures in our church today—confusing for some, perhaps not for others—is Father James Martin, uh, because he talks a really good game. If, if you could unpack for us, Father James Martin, because it's a, it's a stunning thing. I, I don't mean to praise the guy, but he's done a lot of things well in order to be confusing. Which. To me, it's really demonic. It would be one thing if we were just saying, you know, go out and have gay sex and it's all wonderful. He doesn't do that. He actually phrases it very much like a Morsetitia, um, in, in ways that are this roundabout. He, That's the ultimate thing that you, you know what he's saying. And it's all this, the whole homosexual community understands it. Uh, but, you know, there are very many. Apologists, even for Father James Martin, as if he's totally orthodox. I guess you have to when he meets so often with Pope Francis, but unpack for us, Father James Martin, if you could. 2022 it was 25 years these one ounce silver rounds are available from our partners at SaintJosephsPartners.com, where you can fulfill all of your silver and gold needs in this perilous time may god bless you
0: well wait we to remember first of all one of those brilliant creations of all is satan i mean he's he's brilliant and so people who are in his uh employ so to speak they can be brilliant. I mean, and, and I and I think, give the devil his due, Father James Martin is brilliant in what he's do, what he does. Unfortunately, what he does is he undermines Catholicism, he undermines morality, he, he leads people to sin, he leads people to hell, frankly, and to be blunt. And I speak like that very directly because I'm trying to speak the exact opposite of how Father James Martin talks. He speaks in these ambiguities, he speaks of accepting things, of... of being uh, kind to people and and, and this type of language of where he doesn't really state exactly what he means. Everybody knows, everybody knows he thinks the church's teaching on homosexuality, homosexual activity should be changed. Yet, I don't think he's, I'm pretty sure he's never actually said that. That's the brilliance. Because Catholics who are, or non-Catholics who are struggling with homosexual inclination, through upbringing, through maybe abuse in their background, these poor souls, what they need is apostles like Courage who tell them, we will help you through Christ's grace to live a chaste life, live the way God wants you to live. Father James Martin says, oh, you're okay the way you are, and then they fall into the homosexual lifestyle, which, as you know and I know from talking to many people who've been in that lifestyle, how destructive it is to the soul, to the body. And so really, it is diabolical, and it's genius, and he gives himself enough cover, because people can say, well, he's never taught against church teaching, but he undermines it by every single thing he does, and that's the real danger. And so he's far more dangerous than the clumsy priest who might just say, yeah, go ahead, it's okay to, to, to have homosexual sex, something like that. That person we just know, they're, they're opposed. He gives that cover so he he's able to speak in diocese under Bishop with Bishop he gets bishops endorsing him and we just saw he 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 meets with the Pope on a regular basis
1: mm-hmm. yeah we used to think it was once then twice then three times no now it's it's a regular thing they're just uh, out uh, by the time you 're seeing this it'd be like last week another one and it's just it's like a frequent partnership um answering the dubia of Father James Martin and his new homosexual group, I think they call it Outreach or something, um, and won't answer the dubia from the four cardinals. It's absolutely unreal. And to realize the gravity, part of that genius is he doesn't just say, stay where you are. He actually says, God made you that way. Embrace who you are. And you're like, oh my goodness. And, you know, the the confusion is stellar. We needed... Um, in, in so much of this, he's only a priest yet, so you do have some bishops who do openly decry what he does. Obviously, Bishop Schneider would do that. But, you know, we've heard Cardinal Muller do it as well. Uh, Cardinal Burke do it as well. So that's beautiful when you have the faith defended against a real player who is, you know, for all intents and purposes, like best buds with the Holy Father. It's It's just unreal. Um, But let's talk about the Pope, because this is um, one of the most confusing times on earth. I I don't know that the church has experienced something like this before, but here you have a Pope who is supposed to be the defender, the protector of the faith, doing what seems to be the opposite of that. And that has made for a debate in the church of, uh, is the Pope the Pope? What does that even mean? Um, you know, there was the thesis of Bellarmine that the Pope can lose the papacy for heresy. What are your thoughts on all this?
0: Okay, so for the next two hours, I'm going to lay out. (laughs) No, I I think, first of all, it is a very confusing time. And I think it was uh, Kennedy Hall wrote recently for 1 Peter 5, and he said, in this time of confusion, God is going to be very merciful. And I think that's true. That it is very difficult to live as a Catholic right now and to understand all of this. So when somebody comes to me and they say, you know, Eric, I just I have a hard time thinking that that guy is the Pope. I just have a hard time. I sympathize. I get it. I, I'm not one to just jump on them and say, oh no, you, you no no, you can't think that. No, I, I get why they think that. Uh, I I I'm empathetic to it. At the same time, I do think if we look at our history of the church, we look at our theology, we look at how the church is run, I think it's very important that a cornerstone of Catholicism is to be in communion with the Bishop of Rome. And I think where everybody gets hung up is, what does it mean to be in communion? Most people think it means to be in agreement, that we follow everything he says and does. Well, that would mean at times we're in agreement, in communion with error, and we're not supposed to be that. So I get that. That's not what communion is, though. Communion really is more of a mystical and hierarchical union that we have, that we attend a church where the Pope's name is read during the Mass, that we acknowledge him as the Supreme Pontiff, we you know, our bishop is in communion with him as well, is under him. And that does not mean we agree everything he does, or that he's never can be wrong, because our Lord himself in the parable of the wheat and the chaff, he said, yeah, it's going to be messy inside the church. And Ultimately, though, it's his duty to sort it all out. And so, as a and ultimately, when it comes to the question of whether or not is Francis the Pope, I think it's 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 said kind of as a as a throwaway, but I really mean it. It's like it's above my pay grade, Mm -hmm. and I really mean that though, in the sense of Bellarmine himself speaks of this: that the church, when we're talking about an office, the church has ways in which. People lose their office and are declared out of their office. So, for example, if a priest is heretical, a bishop has the authority to remove him from office. Likewise, a bishop, the pope, has authority. The, the challenge we have is the church has actually not created, does not have an, a methodology, an instrument to do this for a pope. And that might be like, well— Maybe we should have thought of that before now. (laughs) But the fact is, that's usually how the church figures things out, is you get a crisis. What do you do? And ultimately, I do really go back to the view of acceptance. Bishop Schneider's talked about this a lot, that when the church basically in her bishops and the lady, when they accept something, that means that's what it is. And and the church has accepted Francis as the pope. I know some people don't, but like the whole hierarchy does. And so therefore, he is the pope. And you see that, for example, when you had the three popes years ago, they had a council, and the council is not above the pope, according to Catholic theology, yet the council told the popes, you all got to resign, we're going to create a new one. And they did, and one of them refused to, but, but the actual pope did. And so they did elect a new pope, and that pope then immediately say, by the way, the popes are above councils, because he knew that's a dangerous precedence if we make that a law. But what happened was the reason that was now, and you look at the church list of popes, he is a legitimate pope, even though the council kind of picked him above another pope. It's because it was basically the church said, okay, we got a lot going wrong here. This is what we're going to do. And everybody accepted it, and we just moved forward. And that doesn't work for our Western kind of legalistic minds. We want to have, oh, in canon law, you do this, follow this, and in that direction. That's always the way it's going to go. That's not the way it's gone in church history. We've had emperors depose popes before. So I think ultimately the church is gonna to have to grapple with two issues. One is the specific issue of Francis and everything he's written. One day you may have a council, you may have a pope who just says we're gonna erase that from the from the, the church.
1: I almost you have to. I, I that that's not a I don't think that's a that's just a possibility. That I think that's a necessity because they, at least in four documents you have viable heresies that are they look formal to a non-expert but but it's they they're they're wrong in in spades more wrong than many of the things that were questions before in the past for other popes that made errors so yeah i know i i think it has to come would you agree with that
0: Yes. It just may not come in our lifetime. Yeah, uh, I, I think it has to come. And I also think the church then has to grapple with the more general issue of what do we do in the case of a pope who is actively trying to undermine the faith? What is the procedure in which that pope is? Is it going? Maybe it just is going to be we wait for a future pope because people don't like that answer. And I understand we don't like it. But you look in his church history, that happens sometimes, where there are periods in which there's just massive confusion. You, I mean, Arian crisis, obviously, where you have most bishops preaching Arianism. You have the, the the Great Western Schism, where you have multiple popes, people claiming men claiming to be pope. And we see it in history, like okay, the Great Western Schism, what was it, eighty years, something like that. I can't remember. And you have these three popes. But remember, what if you're just a Catholic who's born the year after the first two people are saying they're pope, and you die? five years before they resolve it. Your entire life as a Catholic is under multiple men saying they're Pope. And I can understand that person would be like, God, you need to resolve this. And he did eventually resolve it, but it wasn't in the time frame that maybe that guy wanted to. And I feel like we are the same way. We have to live under this. Of course, the next Pope might be in the same as this one as far as all this goes. He might be much better, might be much worse. We don't know. We might just have to live under it. And so ultimately, our duty is to obviously grow in holiness, to, to, to be saints, and to when even high church officials say something that's erroneous, we, we have to speak out and say, no, this is not consistent with what the church has always taught.
1: How much of a loop would it throw you for if the next pope said, yeah. He, he wasn't pope and we should have just paid attention in the first place. John Paul II wrote a constitution on the election of a pope. It was clearly by the evidence that we now have that was admitted to uh, violated um, and therefore paragraph I think it's 76 in, um, in the document in the constitution John Paul II wrote in 1992 applies he wasn't the pope. That would have all sorts of ramifications though wouldn't it?
0: It would. I mean it would be pretty Amazing. To be honest, I would be happy because it would give clarity where there's confusion. At the same time, I wouldn't regret the fact that I have been very adamant publicly that we have to accept Jorge Bergoglio as our Pope. Because ultimately, here's the thing. When I go to my maker, I have to answer for what I knew and what I did. And I, it is legitimate for a Catholic to say, uh, the entire church that you founded, Lord and all the successors of of your apostles said, this man's the pope, and I went along with them. I cannot imagine, but I didn't go along with his heirs, but I went along with the fact that he is the pope. And I feel like that, in my judgment, I, I will be in good shape. However, if the opposite were true, if he really is the pope, and I was out there speaking very publicly and saying, no, he's not the pope, and leading people maybe not to go to Mass because the Mass is, is, is under the Pope and stuff like that, I think I would, my judgment could be very severe. And so it's some of a Pascal's wager, I guess, yeah. but ultimately I feel like this is the, the path Catholics should take, lay Catholics, because, I mean, a bishop, if I was a bishop, it might be a whole different thing. Then I think I would spend a lot more time looking to, is there something I should do to start bringing get bishops together to talk about this? Mm-hmm. I'm not a bishop, I'm just a lay person. And so my duty is to live the Catholic faith and proclaim it as it is, even when it means correcting errors that come out of the Vatican.
1: Absolutely beautiful. Eric Simmons. thank you so much for joining us. God bless you. God
0: bless you. Thank you.
1: Thank you. And God bless all of you. I will see you next time.